Yeah. Did you say good morning? <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, it's actually four seconds after 7.30. Shall we start? Yeah. Can you guys hear me out there? You can hear me. Can you hear me on this thing at all? Can you hear me now? Oh, thanks, Pastor Ray. I think I, I don't hear anything on the speakers, huh? I'm good. Uh, Mike said I'm good. I know that, but is my mic working? <laughs> All right. Can you hear me now? You good? All right. Maybe I'll move the mic down toward my mouth. Better? All right. Well, what's really important tonight is that you don't necessarily hear me, but you hear the voice of the Lord. So let's pray that that happens. Father, we come together. Oh, what a blessing to be together. In the name of the Lord, in the name of Jesus, and we come washed in his blood, wearing his robe of righteousness. We come in his name and, and, and as his family and his body on the earth today. And we thank you that you are here in our midst. That's an astounding thing to us. And we are grateful. Because we, we can't do anything without your presence, without your leading, without your guidance, without your correction. And we cherish and welcome all of that. So tonight, Lord, help us to put the weariness of the day aside and bring the joy of the Lord from our spirit to the surface. Pour in us a fresh oil, a fresh anointing, a newness of spirit tonight that when we leave, we're bubbling over with excitement and in love with you more than ever before. We pray for your anointing on the word and on the teaching and on the hearing and on the doing. But we will not be hearers only in this house. Thank you, Lord, for your presence in our midst. Thank you, Lord, for your presence in those who are picking up the message, either live or uh, following tonight. That your anointing would be as strong there as it is here. And we thank you, Lord, that we as the body will be blessed as we gather to study your word tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 All right. Welcome to Wednesday night Bible study, and that is what we're going to do and if you have your Bibles, um, you can open them to the uh, epistle of Colossians. We're going to spend most of our night there. And the title tonight is Raised with Christ. Raised with Christ. Uh, so let's go to the Word and we'll dig right in. And then as is customary uh, from this pulpit, from most of us here, We'll then go backtrack and dig in a little deeper. But let's get the, let's get the foundational scripture laid out. And uh, I'm going to begin reading in Colossians chapter 3. Uh, and we'll go right through the first 17 verses. All right, let's do that. Chapter 3 and verse 1 of Colossians. If then, and this is the New King James from, from my scriptures. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above which, uh, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Verse 5, Therefore, put to death your members, which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. 
But now you yourselves are to put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord, and whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So we'll pause there. Uh, in the past two Wednesday nights that we listened to Pastor John, we heard him talk about uh, who are we really? Uh, who, who are we? And he dug deep into the word to talk about uh, being in him and, ha- and knowing that he is in us. And trying to apprehend or ascertain or grasp a hold of the reality of those truths. What does it mean? Theologically in his first week and then physically or application-wise in his second week, he studied that out in great detail. And uh, as I listened to him talk, the, the notes that I had here, I could almost title it as week three of that message, (laughs) even though I'd started this message prior to listening to what he had said, Uh, which is exciting to me. It always is, because what we see is the uh, grace of God bringing a message to this body that's cohesive. And you'll hear from Sunday to Wednesday, from teacher to preacher, a cohesive overall message uh, because he's that way, and he's bringing us together, and he has a message for us that's hard for us to grasp. So he's bringing it from different ways. And that's pretty exciting uh, because he loves us. And he doesn't want us to just get the the doctrine. He doesn't want us to just get the the ideas behind it. He wants us to live it out. And and there's some very challenging things to to live out. And you'll see that uh, where I'm headed with that as we get into the details tonight. So so back to verse 1 in chapter 3. I keyed off on this first part that says, if then you were raised with Christ. And as I studied the scripture, and this, the, the genesis of this um, in my heart really was that Debbie and I had been looking at this particular chapter over the last month and really going back and forth and meditating on it and digesting it because it really lays out how we should be living as Christians and how we should not be living. As Christians, and and uh, and how to do it. So we we both of us in our separate devotions uh, have been in this chapter, and so it really resonated with me to bring it uh, to the body tonight. And as I did it, 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 it of course the God God always unfolds things uh, in in marvelous ways. So if then you were raised with Christ, so my first question was, are we raised with Christ now, or are we raised with Christ when He comes back for us? When, when, when are we raised with Christ? You know, because I always figured, well, when he comes back, we'll be raised in glory and hallelujah, right? It's all good. No, but, but the scripture says, if then you were raised with Christ, which, which would imply that we, we've been raised with Christ now, right? So, so as you follow through the rest of chapter 3 and into chapter 4 of this letter, Uh, you'll see that he explains that if you've been raised with Christ, these are the ways that you should live. So so the the premise is you you understand that you were raised with Christ already. And that's a lot of what what Pastor John had talked about in the last couple of... Who are we really? Well, we really are raised in Christ. He is in us and we are in him. 
So, so let's get some context here. So we know, we know that these epistles were not written in chapters and verses. They didn't go from one thought to another in, in, in any sort of a outlined way like, like, like we've broken it up in our Bibles, which makes it so much easier for us to study. So we're glad we have that. Uh, but no, this was one collective thought, this letter, these four chapters, written by the Apostle Paul uh, from prison. And Timothy was with him when he wrote it. Um, it was written to the church in Colossae, so, he, so there are some believers, a body of believers there that he had written to, and based on the context of the letter, it's probable that Paul uh, hadn't met these people. He'd heard of them, and uh, they were a church in neighboring Laodicea and some other places, but, but Paul hadn't necessarily met this particular body of believers. Uh, but he'd, he learned about some things that were going on there, and so he's writing them a letter. Uh, it was written around 60 A.D., so, so, so if you think about 60 A.D., it was about 30 years after Jesus was crucified, died, and was raised from the dead. 30 years. That's a fair amount of time. Um, and <laughs> I mentioned this to Debbie. I said, we've been coming to this church 30 years. <laughs> so what was it like 30 years ago to now, and what, how have things changed? But could you imagine from the birth of the church and the day of Pentecost to 30 years later, what kind of changes they incurred as they grew? 30 years, amazing. So about three decades. And, and so the Lord was adding to his church all around the region, as you guys know, as you studied the epistles. Through the move of the Holy Spirit, uh, the body of Christ was growing. His church was growing. But at the same time, there was a lot of false teaching coming into play. There was a lot of uh, traditions that remained in, in the church. There were pagan uh, religions that were kind of creeping into the beliefs of the church. And that was all sort of watering down the gospel, it was, uh, it was uh, encroaching on the truth and the purity of what this gospel really was. And, and so Paul is really writing uh, to tell this body of believers and to us that Jesus is all we need. We don't need traditions. We don't need religious rules. We, we don't need pagan beliefs. It's Jesus that, that we need. We don't even need the Judaic law because he fulfilled that law. Uh, Jesus is enough. It's funny, as I pulled this together, I, the words of Pastor Sam, all, many of you remember him, uh, he, he had some great sayings, but, but different moves, uh, charismatic moves would kind of blow through the country, and people would ask him, well, what about this move, or what about that move, and, and he would just look at you with that look and say, are you, are you so bored with Jesus? Is Jesus not enough for you that you want to get on this move or that move, and I can't do it like like John Z would do, where he'd grit his teeth and go, you saw. <laughs> but uh, he had that way of saying to pull you back to say, look, if you're, not, if you're not getting enough out of Jesus, then you're missing it there. Sure, there's moves of the Spirit. Sure, there's things going on. But you should get enough out, out, of, out of loving on and learning about and being in Jesus. He is sufficient. And that's what Paul's trying to get across here. So, so beginning with the early part of the letter, and as you guys know, when he, he writes his epistles, uh, he typically starts with a greeting, and he, and he tells them uh, all kinds of compliments that he's heard about them in their walk, and how well they're doing, and that he prays for them as he does with all the saints, and all that's true. I'm not saying that's, that's uh, hyperbole. You know, he obviously is sincere in his writing. Um, and, then, and then the first thing he does in chapter 1 of Colossians is, is he hits hard on the gospel message. That is sufficient in his mind. This, this is, he reiterates this. He, he says in Colossians 13, 14, Colossians 1, sorry, uh, 13 and 14, he says, he has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the son of his love in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. I mean, Paul understands that he's not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He knows the power of it unto salvation. And he knows that he needs to bring this body of believers back to this one powerful and solid truth of the gospel message. So he's inspired to let them know, remind them, it's God the Father who delivered us from the power of darkness. And, and he's delivered us into the kingdom of the Son of his love. So we're in Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus, in whom uh, is, is the son of his love. And so we're redeemed by the blood of Jesus. He paid the price for our sins, and, and he just wants to hammer that home. 
So he hits us with the, doc, with the doctrine or the gospel of salvation. And, and, you know, as you're witnessing to people, as you're demonstrating the love of Christ to them, at some point you have to hit them with that point. That is ultimately the turning point, that people recognize that you can be saved through Jesus Christ and brought into his kingdom. That's something that we need to be preaching on a regular basis. Uh, in, in whatever words you, you need to use, but, but make sure that's part of your message as you witness. Um, in verse 15 through 18 of the same chapter, now he goes on and paints a beautiful, powerful picture of who Jesus is. He, he talks, to, talks about him as, as the image in verse 15, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him, Jesus, all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body of the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. Again, emphasizing to this body of believers, Jesus is all-sufficient because all things came from him and for him. Why do you need to mix it up with other things when you can have Jesus? He is more than enough, and he is the one who created all things, and he's got authority over all things. And, and so, so, therefore, we as the body of Christ need to cling to the head, and, uh, and that should be more than, than enough for us. And then in verse 21 of the same chapter, chapter 1, he, he makes it personal. He says, and you, and you, church at Colossae, you, church in Seekonk, you, who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded, steadfast, and are not moved away, from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. So again, now he's making it personal because he's saying, look, you guys used to be enemies of God, and now you have been reconciled unto him, and now you are holy. You're holy. You're blameless. You're above reproach. Reproach is one of those words we don't use so much, but it, it really means you're, you're above a, 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 a disapproval or a rebuke. There's nothing wrong with you. I don't know how many of you guys feel like that's true today about you, but we're going to see why it is. Because in Christ, it has to be true. But we have to hold fast to that gospel, hold fast to that truth. We can't wander away from it and be drawn away by, by all the different winds of doctrine that may come about. We have to hold on to the head who is Jesus. You still with me? Because now it's going to get a little harder. I think we, we all kind of grasp the gospel message. Most of us here have been around the word for a good while and you understand what it means, and, and you are alive in Christ as a result. But let's look at chapter 2 and verses 6 through 8 of Colossians, because this is where Paul is addressing the problems that he had heard about in this church during this time period of, of again, around three decades after Jesus was raised from the dead. He says to them uh, in verse 6, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord... So walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. And the warning in verse 8, beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy, empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to to Christ. So, so he's, he's warning us. He said, look, you guys, and this is where we are. Like, we've been taught well 
who Jesus is. We've been taught well about the gospel. We've been taught well about the salvation, the, the resurrection of the dead, making Jesus our Lord. And, 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 but he's saying, look, you've got to be rooted and grounded in that. We need to refresh ourselves in that. That's why coming together in church is so important, just to, to refresh ourselves in, in these truths. Why? Because, because there's, there's deceit out there. There's tradition out there. There's philosophies of men that want to creep in and pull us away from that or make it something that it is not. So he's warning us in the, in the church to be rooted and grounded in him so we can avoid that. But let's think about this in context. I mean, where were these believers in 60 AD? I mean, the church was brand new, essentially three decades old, right? And, and, and they're early believers. It's a new religion. They don't really know uh, what, what is what is real and what is true. They're learning. They're in this learning process, if you will. Uh, I, I mean, uh, the, the Gospels, the four Gospels that we have in our Bible today probably hadn't been circulated yet. Some may not have even been written. And, and, and so they didn't, they didn't really get the, the full story necessary of Jesus and how he lived. And, and, uh, and, and so they had the Torah uh, either they probably didn't all have their own set of scrolls, but they had heard the Torah read if they were Jewish, and certainly the the, uh, the prophets. So, so those who were Jewish had sort of that background around this faith, um, which was helpful, but also a stumbling block. So some of the Jewish believers had that. Uh, and then there were a, a whole host of letters that were circulated around to the believers during this time period, some of which we have here that have been what we call canonized in our Bible. Uh, but many of them were... were uh, Partly that and partly other things. Uh, so, so what would happen is, is the, the exciting truth of the gospel of Jesus would be spread. But then people would go, yeah, but I really liked what I believed over here too. So this Jesus story and this other thing must be blended together. And that feels good to me. So I'm going to write a letter about that. So in the church back then, they were getting all kinds of messages from different kinds of teachers. Some of which were, were anointed by God and others were false uh, wolves in sheep's clothing, perhaps. So there was a lot of this stuff going around. And, and so you can imagine, you know, there was a lot of questions. Well, what do we do? Where do we stand? Uh, what, do we, what do we believe in? And so Paul, anointed by the Holy Spirit with the truth of God, is now writing to this letter to sort of say, let me set you back on the basics, which is Jesus and Jesus alone. But let me ask you something. Are we any better off today than that early church in Colossae was in terms of what to know? You know, are we better off? Because look at, I mean, we have, we have Bibles in every sort of format, you know, you can want. And we have dozens of literal translations and, and hundreds of versions of the Bible to read. And we can read them in paper. We can read them on, the, on computer, tablets, phones, have them read to us audibly. There's just, I mean, we can get the word any way we want. Right, uh, but in our studies, oh, not only that, but we have the lexicons and we have all the the Strong's Concordance and we got the original Greek and the Hebrew. You don't have to be a scholar and you can still dig that up. We have a lot of stuff. Teaching is phenomenal, and you can go online and find some amazing teachers. and And I encourage you to do that. Just make sure that the Holy Spirit bears witness to what you're hearing, uh, because there are other teachers out there. Right, so so we have the truth so much more at access to us. But we also have the watered-down version. We have the self-seekers, the, 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 the people who like the doctrine, but they, but they add their own intelligence to it. They add their own ideas to it. They add their own philosophy to it. And so, and so this then gets online, and suddenly you're on this site and go, yeah, that kind of sounds good. And then you listen to another message from the same person. Yeah, that makes sense. And the next thing you know, you're drawn away from the foundation of Jesus. So in some sense, we're worse off today than we, the folks who were back then when they, they had to trust in people to bring the message and to trust in the source of the letters uh, that they were receiving that were circulating in the day. Uh, so, I mean, it's just, you, know, you guys have been through this. I mean, I had a colleague several years ago now, more than 10, I would say, and, of course, they, people at work would know that I go to church. And, and uh, so this lady was a, a Catholic, and she, and she was, I wouldn't say she was passionate about her Catholicism, but somewhat faithful to it. But she considered herself a, a, a cafeteria Catholic. I don't know, has anyone else heard that expression? A cafeteria Catholic. Well, what does that mean? Well, well, what it means is I can go down the line within the doctrine of Catholicism and decide I like this part, you know, Love your neighbor. I like this part. Honor your parents. 
I don't really like this part about marriage being in between a man and a woman. You know, I don't really like this part. So, so she would pick the parts that she liked and discard the parts that she didn't. So she could feel good about herself as being religious, uh, but she would be selective about what she would believe in. Now, now, now listen, I, I'm a strong advocate for not discarding your brain. When you see something of doctrine, you want to put your brain in there to, to, to make sure that you understand what it is, but you never put your understanding over the leading of the Spirit. Your brain, your understanding, your reasoning always has to be subservient to the Holy Spirit who's in you and let your spirit lead you. Now, she didn't know about the spirit. She was only using her brain, and she was only doing it based on, you know, what she saw around her. I'll give you another example. The denomination that Debbie and I worshipped at before coming here, uh, they, we, I was on the vestry, which is like a, kind of like an elder board or whatever, and I remember asking the priest at the time, I said, what do, you know, on what grounds, how do you make your decisions? What is the basis of your authority? And, and, uh, and what he said to me was, well, well in, this, in this denomination, it's a three-legged stool. And the three legs give it balance. I said, okay, that's logical. And he said, the three legs are tradition, experience, and the, and the scriptures. And I thought, well, how do you know of those three, which one's right? <laughs> and he said, it depends. Uh, so, so now I'm starting to wonder, okay, well, is this really going to be sound? Right? And the Holy Spirit was obviously leading us to come uh, to a different church where Scripture was ultimately the authority that we have. Uh, traditions can be good, not, but they can't be outside of the Scripture, the Word of God. Experiences should bear witness with the Word, but sometimes they don't. Which is right, your experience or the Word? Anybody? The Word, right? <laughs> so, 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 so these are things that we face today, which is the same issues that the church in Colossae faced uh, back then. So, so to, to counteract this or the antidote for this, uh, Paul makes a, a bold statement uh, in, in chapter 2 in verse 9 and 10. He says, For in him, that's in Jesus, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. So what he's bringing us back to is, look, all these ideas and all these wonderful uh, teachings um, don't make you complete, and in fact, they can draw you away. He's saying, let's go back and look at him. Let's look at Jesus. Let's look at the head of the church, because in him is the fullness of the Godhead in a bodily form. Now, this isn't a random thought. This is something he actually said in a similar way in chapter 1. I'll read it to you, and maybe Sharon has it. Chapter 1 of Colossians, verses 19 and 20. He said, For it pleased the Father that in him, that's Jesus, all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. So, so we understand now that the fullness of God is in Christ. Now, now we do realize that, that uh, when Christ came to earth, he put aside his godly attributes and came to the earth in the form of a man, in the form of a human, uh, born of Mary, right? But, but, but at the same token, the fullness of God by the Holy Spirit, because that was his Father, was in him. So while he was 100% all the time the son of man born of Mary, Isaiah said, unto us a child is born, he was also 100% Jesus, the son of God, born of the Holy Spirit. Unto us a son is given. So, so when you hear those phrases, unto us a child is born and unto us a, child, a son is given, you can see the son of man and the son of God in those statements. But in his humanity was the fullness of the Godhead. Uh, in the form of the Holy Spirit. So as the Son of God, he was in one, uh, he was one with the Father. As the Son of Man, he learned to discipline, he learned to put under his body. He learned that that was not his authority. Uh, he submitted it to the Father's will. Another way to think about this is that, that the body of Jesus, the human body of Jesus, was the place that God would dwell on the earth because God was in him the fullness of God was in him bodily. So, so, so the body of Christ 
on the earth was the temple of the Holy Ghost. He is where God dwelled in, in the body of Christ, right? So in him was the fullness of, of, of God. We often read the Gospels and we see him in his humanity, except when he does his miracles and they go, oh, that was God, right? But no, he's all human and he's all God at the same time, the Lord Jesus. So he put aside his glory and came down, but the way he managed that was he did nothing but what he heard his father do. Pastor John talked about that. And he said nothing about except what his father said. So how, how did Jesus learn to flow in the Holy Spirit? Um, how, did he, how did the fullness of God work through him? Well, obviously because he fully submitted to the Father. So in his submission, the Holy Spirit could fully flow through him. As soon as Jesus, if Jesus ever chose to not follow the Father, that would be sin and we would still be in a world of hurt. So he had to do everything his Father said and do nothing that was wrong. So, so he had to put aside all of the temptations that came before him. He, he had to say no to those. In other words, his flesh may have desired those things because he was tempted in all ways as we are, but he had to die to those things. He had to die to those things so that he could be fully obedient to the Father and fulfill the Father's will. So, so, but it's easy enough to see in verse 9 how in Jesus the fullness of the Godhead could dwell. Yes, Jesus and God, you know, they're one, they're all together. But what does that mean to us? Well, let's look at verse 10 of chapter 2, Colossians verse 10. He says, and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. So, so what Paul is saying to, the, to us as believers is, look, God, or Jesus was complete because the fullness of the Godhead dwelled in him. And now you are in him, meaning you're fully connected to the Godhead too. Something to, 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 to meditate on, to think about. How do you, how do you, how do you realize that? Because, because if you're in Christ and God's in Christ, the Father, then you and the Father and the Christ are one. And that's exactly what Jesus prayed for in John chapter 17. That the Father and the Son are one and that these who would believe on him would be one with the Father and the Son. Because we now are the body of Christ on the earth. So if the fullness of God dwelled in Christ bodily and his body was raised and went to heaven, Where, who is his body on the earth now? The church. And does the fullness of God dwell in his body on the earth, in the church? Yes. Wholeheartedly and 100% yes. So, so okay, so, so how, do we, how do we grasp that? Because we don't see it. We, how do we... How do we we don't feel complete, we don't act complete, we don't sound complete, and yet the Bible says we are complete in him. So how do we bring that which is a spiritual truth on the inside to the outside so that we can walk in it? What do we do next? So the next series of scriptures in John, uh, Colossians chapter 2, um, there's sort of a mixed stream of ideas that are blended together to address some of the cultural issues that were happening at the time, but more importantly, the spiritual aspect that makes this possible. And then we're going to break it down. Uh, okay, let me take a drink because I'll forget. <laughs> okay, Colossians chapter 2, 11 through 15. We'll read them all and then we'll, then we'll dig in a little bit further. Uh, in him, in Christ, you were also circumcised. With the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him, through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing, triumphing over them in it. 
So what I want to dig into here a little bit is what does this mean? How many of you, men and women, can say that you have been circumcised? But the Bible just said that we were circumcised in Christ. What does this mean? Well, circumcision was a very controversial issue in the early church. It was one of those bones of contention that really brought a lot of division and strife uh, as the church was growing. Uh, It's clearly an outward sign of an everlasting covenant between God and Abraham, which included uh, his descendants. You can read about that in Genesis chapter 17. Circumcision was required of every male who wanted to participate in the Passover meal. So so it was important to the Jews uh, to do that, make sure that otherwise they were unclean and they were becoming one with the Passover meal in an unclean way, so circumcision had to be done uh, to fulfill the law. That's in Exodus chapter 12. It was part of the Mosaic law in Leviticus, uh, also chapter 12. So, so, so this circumcision was, was, was ingrained in, in, in the Jewish culture. Um, it's, it's an underlying factor that also would distinguish the Jews from many other peoples. Now, there were other nations and peoples who would practice circumcision. It wasn't new to Abraham uh, in his day, and other nations would practice it. But it really was a covenant uh, reminder of who they were in their relationship with God. And so it was very important to them both spiritually and also nationally. So, so, so because of the strength of that culture, the strength of that concept, the strength of that importance of circumcision, as, as Gentiles were becoming Christians, those Jewish Christians believed strongly that circumcision should be part of that. So if, if a Gentile was going to come into the Christian faith, the Jewish believers would say, well, at a minimum you should be circumcised, because it was so important to them over the years. And so this became, again, a, a, a real tug-of-war uh, uh, as, as the body of Christ was starting to grow uh, on the earth. So what is, what is circumcision? Well, in the natural, it's the removal of flesh from the human penis. I think all of you are adults, you probably know that, right? That's what it is. It's, it's a human removal of flesh from the human pe- penis from which uh, issue the seeds of life. That, that's what it is. Uh, the flesh is taken out of the way, and that leaves a, a permanent mark, which is a reminder of the covenant uh, uh, that they had with, with God. Um, but but this, is a, this is a natural, a natural um, sacrament, if you will, that they did, or, or tradition that they did, uh, that it represented a spiritual truth. So what it is in the spirit realm and what it means to us is that it's the removal of the veil over your heart out of which flow the issues of life. This veil is taken out of the way so your spirit can see and receive the Holy Spirit. And, 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 it's, and this, when this happens, this leaves an everlasting and visible mark or change in those who receive him. So, so it's one of those things that's everlasting, and it's a sign of our everlasting covenant relationship with God, our Father. And when your heart is circumcised, it enables you to freely love God with all your heart and with all your soul and to worship him in spirit and in truth. So that's, that's the, the spiritual essence of circumcision. And you can see how the natural uh, aspect of it is somewhat a shadow of what I just described in the spirit. And we won't go back over that. Um, what's interesting as I study this out further is, is that this isn't, P, this isn't Paul, the author of this letter. It isn't him creating some neat analogy. He said, oh, this is cool. Let me draw this because I understand now what it means to be born again. He, no, th- this is actually back in Deuteronomy, this actual concept that I just described. I'm going to read it to you in two places, and there's one subtle difference that I'll point out in these two sections of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 10, uh, verses 12 through 17. Now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? We should all, all read these verses over and over again today. But to fear the Lord, he requires you to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways and to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments of the Lord 
and his statues, which I command you today for your good. Indeed, heaven and the highest heavens belong to the Lord your God, also the earth and all that is in it. The Lord delighted only in your fathers to love them, and he chose their descendants after them, you above all peoples, as it is this day. Verse 16. Therefore, circumcise the foreskin of your heart and be stiff-necked no longer. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality nor takes a bribe. So, so this is the book of Deuteronomy. This is at the end of their wanderings uh, and sort of the second reading of the law. So Moses is now pulling everybody together saying, look, let me review all the stuff that we were given before so that you guys have this as you enter into the, the promised land. And, and so, so the second reading sort of was a, it's almost like the New Living Translation of Levit- Leviticus. You know, it has some, some easier ways to understand the law. And there's some wonderful promises in here. But we see that in this reading, he read that in that section, in chapter 10, he said, uh, therefore, circumcise the foreskin of your heart. In other words, you, you need to do this. This is something you need to do. Uh, and, and, and so what we know, though, is, is that the Jews couldn't really do that on their own. He, he wants them to try, but they really can't do it on their own. They'd have a part in it, but they can't do it by themselves. Now, let, let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 30, and we'll see a slightly different uh, command in, in the continued reading of Deuteronomy, of the second reading of the law. Chapter 30, verses 1 through 6 says, Now it shall come to pass, when all these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse which I have set before you, and you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God drives you. And you return to the Lord your God and obey his voice according to all that I command you today. You and your children with all your heart and with all your soul. It shall come to pass that the Lord your God will bring you back from captivity and have compassion on you and gather you again from all the nations where the Lord your God has scattered you. And if any of you are driven out to the farthest parts under heaven, from there the Lord your God will gather you and from there he will bring you. Then the Lord your God will bring you to the land which your fathers possessed and you shall possess it. He will prosper you and multiply you more than your fathers. And verse 6 says, And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, that you may live. So if you can picture in your mind's eye a similar story to those of us who've been afar off, apart from God, he will call us. He will bring us all together. He'll bring us out of the captivity to which we were in, to which we were sent when Adam sinned. And he'll bring us from all nations, not just the Jews, but all nations. And, and, and the blessing of Abraham will be poured out on all nations. And the Lord God will circumcise our hearts so that we can love God and live. So you see that the principle of the circumcision of the heart is not a New Testament thing, but an Old Testament one. And one that even gets into you know, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible uh, that, that Moses wrote in the Torah. And so, so Paul, in his, in his correcting the church at Colossae, is saying, look, it's not the outward trimming of the flesh of the penis that's anything. He says, no, it's the circumcision of the heart in Christ that's everything is really what he's trying to emphasize here. And he, of course, being a Pharisee of Pharisees, knew these books inside and out and knew that aspect of Deuteronomy that I just read to you. Um, but, but most of the Jews of his day probably did not. You know, they, they knew about circumcision because that just was a ritual that continued, but they probably didn't understand the spiritual meaning of it, which is to circumcise the heart. Now, Paul... Paul uh, he understood the pride of the Jews when it came to circumcision. And, and this is important. Look at Philippians chapter 3 and verses 2 through 6. He says, Beware of dogs. We're talking about dogs in the prayer room on Sunday. Beware of those dogs. Uh, beware of evil workers. Beware of the mutilation. He's referring to circumcision. He says, For we are the, we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit. 
We rejoice in Christ Jesus, and we have no confidence in the flesh. But look at this. He says, though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks they may have confidence in the flesh, I more so circumcised the eighth day, the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Paul understood how important this aspect of Judaism was and how you could build up your pride in it. Uh, but, but, but he set the record straight that the, that, that kind of circumcision means nothing. In fact, if you read further on in Philippians, he says he counts all of that training as dung. <laughs> there was a preacher that I like to listen to uh, over the decades, but years ago he struck me funny as I was listening to a cassette tape. I to tell you how old it was. He's like, what is this? It means I count on all dung. He goes, we don't say dung. It's poop, amen. <laughs> I'm like, okay, it's poop. <laughs> the new King James says rubbish, I think. But uh, anyway, it's, uh, all of that great training and leadership it, it, uh, uh, that he had, the learning of the tradition, he said, when it comes to knowing Christ, this is garbage. Is really, is really the essence of it. So he's trying to set the church straight that all these false teachers coming in saying you need to do this is wrong. You need Christ and him alone is what you need. Take no confidence in the flesh. Let's look at another scripture in Romans. Uh, it brings this out in another way because Paul wrote, writes to the church of Rome, another, uh, another church that he hadn't yet seen. But he, this is a more complete uh, description of this doctrine of circumcision in Romans chapter 2 and verse 25 through 29. For circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law. But if you are a breaker of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. Therefore, if an uncircumcised man keeps the righteous requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? And will not the physically uncircumcised, if he fulfills the law, judge you, who even with your written code and your fleshly circumcision are a transgressor of the law? And verse 28 says, For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit, not in the letter whose praise is not from men, but from God. Mm. So, what am I trying to say? I don't really know, but God's trying to say this. (laughs) Look, he's saying, the circumcision of the heart is akin to the born-again experience that I explained earlier. It's like, the veil is taken off your heart, and and once you can see Jesus, uh, you, you, you start to fall in love with him. Once you understand who he is and what he did and, and how great he is and awesome he is, when that veil is taken off your heart, you have the ability to love him. And the Spirit of God comes inside you so that you can then worship him. And those of us who have been born again, and I think all of you have, uh, you know that either suddenly or gradually, and it's different for all of us, you start to see things through the eyes of your spirit man that you didn't even know you had a spirit man before you were born again. So because your heart has been circumcised, now that flesh has been taken out of the way, that veil has been removed, and and now in union with the Holy Spirit, the fullness of God, you can actually love and worship God in spirit and in truth. He is in you, and you are in him, and you have become one. Okay, so... So this still doesn't really solve the problem. Why aren't we acting any different, right? We're still talking a little bit heady, a little bit theological, a little bit high in the sky. Why are we not acting more like Jesus? So let's go back, bring it back to verse 11 of Colossians chapter 2. And and it says in, in verse 11, he says, In him, in Christ, you were also circumcised uh, with the circumcision made without hands, putting off the body of the sins of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ. So if you are one with Christ and Christ is one with you, the sins which emanate from your flesh, they've been removed once you're in Christ. Because your sins were put on him. 
They, they were taken from us and put on Jesus to be judged. And the debt for those sins, which is death, was paid by Jesus. So, so your sin is gone and you receive his righteousness making you complete in him. Okay, I get that, right? But again, why are we not living like him? Well, let's carry on and add verse 12 to verse 11, and we'll see a bigger picture. And we read this already, but we'll read it again. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Verse 12, buried with him in baptism in which you were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. We died with Christ. We we, we died with him. When we asked Jesus to be our Lord and our Savior, the old person that we were died. Why? Because, Because the old person that we were was full of sin. And sin cannot be in the presence of a holy God. And if the holy God is in us, we can't be who we were. We died. And I think this is one of the things that holds us up as a church, is we're unwilling to let the old one go. We're unwilling to let who we were raised to be in our homes, who we thought we should be, our dreams and our visions for things on the earth. We hold on to those and we add Christ to it. Just like the church in Colossae, when they were adding on the Judaism that they wanted to hold on to, or their pagan beliefs. There are some uh, articles I read about Colossae where they believed there was an aberration of the archangel Michael. So there was a lot of angelic worship in this area. And they were blending that in with Christ. So, so, so what we want to do is we want to hang on to our self, the old self. And, and drag him along or her along while we try to walk in the new self, which is Christ. And, and that's like, you know, you, talk, you heard the old ball and chain. Well, this is like the biggest anchor you ever saw. That's going to hold you back, right? The old man. So we have to understand that we died with him. We're all, now wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I thought we were already dead in our trespasses and sins. And didn't, didn't verse 13 say that? Well, now I'm really confusing you guys, right? Well, this is where I was a week ago, so you'll, you'll, you'll come along with me. So yes, let's look at chapter 2, verse 13. It says, And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all your trespasses. So how do we break this down? What it's saying is that we were dead spiritually in our trespasses and sin. But we still lived, right? The life that we lived, we lived in the flesh. And therefore, it was a sinful life apart from God. So, so while we were dead spiritually, we lived in the flesh apart from God with an uncircumcised heart. We couldn't even know God, right? You can see the attributes of God. Romans clear. There's evidence of him even when you're unsaved, which you need to adhere to or, 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 or pursue, um, but, but, but we were apart from God and, and did not know God. Now, when we're born again, what happens? We become alive spiritually from when we were dead, right? So we were dead in our sins. We become alive spiritually through the circumcision of the heart by Christ. And now the life that we live in him, we live unto righteousness and holiness, which means that our life in the flesh has to be dead in him. So, so we can be raised to newness of life in him. Am I making any sense? So, so, so we, have to reckon, we have to reckon ourselves dead. The, the old person, now we still have a personality, we still have experiences, we still have emotions, we still have a pedigree, we still have family. All those things that are about this earth, earthly life, we still have. I'm not saying that we, we lose those things, but the old way that we lived and our old priorities, we, we have to nail to the cross. And, and we have to, to pursue him and live in him. And then we have to remind ourselves of it. Romans chapter 6. I'll read these verses too. I think I have time. Yes. Uh, Romans chapter 6. We're going to read the first 14 verses. Now, Paul expands on this concept quite a bit in Romans chapter 6. 
And again, it can be a little squirrely unless you're careful to watch the, these, uh, the, the, the ins and outs of, of, of what we're saying here. What shall we say then? In verse 1 of chapter 6, Romans. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? I mean, just, just I'm going to pause on that for a minute. We were baptized into Christ. We were baptized into his death. We love to celebrate his resurrection. That's the good news. But the hard news, the reality news, it's also good news, is that we were baptized into his death in the old way, under the old world order, under the power of Satan and darkness. That died. We were baptized into his death, and therefore we were buried with him through baptism, into death. So that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should also walk in newness of life. For we have been united, verse 5, in the likeness of his death. Certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, likewise, you also. Likewise, you also. Reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lust, and do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For we shall not... For sin shall not have dominion over you. You are not under the law, but under grace. Yes, thank God. That's an amazing truth. But I think what will really help us walk in that truth is to understand that the old person is dead. I mean, you have to be that severe with yourself. It's dead. Whatever things draw you back into your old way, it's dead. That passion, that desire, that addiction, that that anger, that unforgiveness, dead, 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 dead. It's dead because now you are alive in Christ. All that was buried. And if Christ is in you, sin cannot be there because the fullness of God is in you. So if we're resurrected in Christ, you can only have a resurrection after there's a death. So we need to learn to die to ourselves uh, so that we can walk in newness of life. I mean, Jesus was tempted in all ways as we are. Can you imagine? I mean, I don't know if you guys have watched The Chosen. It's an interesting series. Um, you can see the humanity of Jesus in that series. And, and you, know, you know that people, particularly women, would look at Jesus and see the love of the Father in his eyes, and they would be drawn to him in, in a carnal way. And Jesus had to say, nope, that's not my father's business. He had to put aside that temptation. If he was tempted in every way as we are, that was one of his temptations, is that people were drawn to him. He was tempted to heal everybody at the pool of Bethesda, but, but he said, no, this is what God wants me to do today. I'm going to heal this man who's been here 38 years. He, he had all kinds of passion and desire, all kinds of temptation that he had to say no to because from birth... He was dead to sin. His human body could not embrace and touch, encounter, or be a part of, even though he lived in and among sin. He was not a part of it. He reckoned himself himself dead to sin, uh, and he learned, the Bible says, he learned obedience through the things that he suffered. You know, when I used to read that, I used to think, oh, 
he disobeyed, and so his father spanked him, and so he suffered, and he learned how to obey. That's how we do it today, right? Well, no, that's not what it means, because he never did something wrong. What it means is that he suffered in the flesh to say no to those temptations, and that's how he learned what obedience was, because he never had a problem obeying when he and the Father and the Spirit were all in heaven together, because they're one, right? So, but in the flesh, now he has to learn how to obey and put down the temptations uh, uh, that come. And so that's how it's the suffering of that. Like even just the simple things of being um, an outcast. You know, why, you know, can you imagine him at you know, 12 years old? Hey, come on, we're going to go downstairs and uh, down, down the street and, and set this barn on fire. Wouldn't that be cool? You know, <laughs> who knows what they did as kids? You know what kids do. Uh, they were d- no different back then. Uh, so, so he had to say no to those things. So he was probably an outcast. You know, a goody two-shoes, a, you know, a do-no-wrong do kind of guy uh, as a kid. He had to learn obedience through the things that he suffered. He put to death sin. He only did what his father did. And, and so, so when he died, our sin was on him. Therefore, it is dead. And when he rose from the dead, the price was paid. The church now is the body of Christ. Right? So we as the church and you and I as individuals have to reckon ourselves dead to sin and alive to God. And, and, and we should only do what the head of the church, who is Jesus, did um, and say only what he says. So that's very important because there's so many messages out there in the world that are coming to us via the Internet, which is what Jesus said and something else. And you have to be careful. right? Always test it against the Scripture. Look to the inner witness of the Holy Spirit. And as Pastor Sam once again would say, you know, eat the straw and spit out the sticks, right? Take what's good out of it, but be careful and uh, be aware. Test all things with the Spirit. Um, so, so that's how the church should be. Um, and so we should live for God and be, be dead to ourselves. Uh, and all of that should be for the salvation of others. Which brings us back to our key scripture as we wrap this up. Colossians 3, 1 through 4. It says... If then, if then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not, not on, on things on the earth. For, for you died, and your life is hidden in Christ, with Christ in God. But verse 4 says, Well, when Christ who is our life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. That's exciting. So there's a there's a an award uh, not an award there's a re, there's a benefit there's I don't know what the right word is you, you can't even put words to it when we die to sin we lose nothing but we gain everything right so that's really the best way to think about it we all of that that we think is important this 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 uh, unbelief this this unforgiveness this this edginess this this stress this all the stuff that unimportant when you think about the glory of God and being in Christ. That's some cool stuff. Amen? Amen. All right, let's, let's go out of here dead. <laughs> let's, let's pray. Lord, Lord, thank you for, for your word tonight. Thank you for opening our eyes to see that we need to reckon ourselves dead, our old selves, the old man. Help us to know what that, how to walk in that, Lord. Help us to recognize when the old man is trying to take his old place as a place of authority in our lives and to put that down and to allow the new man to have preeminence because sin has no place in our lives, sin of any kind. And it's only by you who have circumcised our heart already and it's only by you who lives and abides in us and leads us and guides us into all truth. It's only by you who corrects and chastises. and It's you who can help us walk this out, but we're so willing because we want to be your sons and daughters and be your representatives, your ambassadors on the earth. And we want to do the things that you did and carry out your will on earth as it is in heaven. And we can't do that if sin's in the way, if the old man is an anchor that's holding us back. Help us cut that chain off and to run holy in your presence according to your will and in your name. Father, thank you for blessing the word tonight that it would stir deep in our hearts, cause change in our souls and in our actions, Lord. That the people would come to this church and start to see you and not us because us 
is dead. <laughs> Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Now, just one more request for any of you who, who, who haven't been circumcised of heart, you haven't made Jesus your Lord, you, if, you, if you would like to do that, if you're here tonight, I think I know most or all of you, but if you haven't done that, come see me and we'll pray together and he will take that veil just as he tore the veil in the temple from top to bottom so that access to God could be there, he will take that veil off of your heart so you can see him and learn to love him. If you're online and you haven't done that yet, I encourage you to call the church tomorrow. Someone will be in the office and we'll connect you with someone to pray with you. It's a simple prayer. The prices have been paid. It's not about joining a church. It's about getting your heart right so that you can see and know God. Please call tomorrow. Don't wait. Uh, because there's so much glory and so much joy uh, once you can see who God is and how much he loves you. Um, Thank you all for for continuing to give. We thank you, Father, that you have blessed the gifts that have come in and will continue to come in uh, as part of our worship to you, uh, both in tithes and offerings. And all of you know uh, the different ways to give. We don't have to, to elaborate on that. And uh, so thank you for Safe Ride Home and, and for the body of believers that we are a part of and for continuing to change us and cause us to look more like him uh, and less like us. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. amen.